0: So this is the beginning of a day. My mind is, maybe we have a, this day, looking forward to practicing meditation here at Spirit Rock, coming together in this meditation hall, um, paying respect to the Buddha Dhamma Sangha in this formal way the initial offering is of candles, incense, and flowers. This is a traditional offering to a Buddhist shrine, offering candles uh, representing uh, wisdom, light. And incense is a symbol for samadhi concentration, and flowers are the symbol for the sila, or morality. So the, the path of middle way of the Buddha is based on morality, sila, samadhi, concentration, wisdom, panya. These three objects are easy together, not expensive items. So even in countries where people are very poor, uh, usually they can find candles, incense, and flowers to offer to a Buddhist shrine, Buddhist temple. So the sense of offering something. Uh, oftentimes meditation can become a very selfish kind of thing, where it's just, you know, my practice and what I want to, want to get my samadhi and uh, get my act together and uh, sitting there on one Zafu one can get, just be thinking about <clears throat> getting something, trying to attain or achieve some kind of concentrated state or enlightenment. But the actual motion uh, toward enlightenment is of giving, of offering, rather than of taking. So that's important to, to recognize that this uh, self-centeredness, uh, obsession with oneself and self-concern is, if we don't uh, you know, we really believe in it, then we get stuck in, the, in just an endless uh, obsession with my feelings, my thoughts, my opinions, my practice. So on the level of the ceremony, the, the Buddha Shrine, the Buddha Rupa, these are uh, objects of, that we revere, we, worship, we we respect. And the sense of worship isn't projecting onto, say, a Buddha image, anything like some kind of magical powers, but it's learning to use this this Buddha image as a reminder to Awaken to be mindful in the present moment. To make an offering, to to bow is an act of humility. To put your head on the floor is a sign of you know where arrogance is usually where you hold your head up high. Your nose goes up into the air. Uh, you become very arrogant. Thinking, I'm you know, I'm not going to bow to anybody, I'm so good. And the actual uh, act of bowing is is kind of making yourself small and putting yourself in a vulnerable position. When you're bowing, you're, you're physically very vulnerable and your head down on the floor. So these are traditional ways of of reminding ourselves of who in ways of cultivating the path using a ceremony tradition in a skillful way like many people have doubts and criticisms about religious traditions Because they see it as just merely kind of rites, rituals, people going through motions of doing things, and oftentimes we see it just through our critical faculties, because we don't understand it. And sometimes people involved in religious ceremonies are just very superficial. It's not that they've made any profound insights into their religion just because they to make all the right gestures at the temple or the church. But the, that's not the point, it's not what somebody else is doing, or, or how pure or how mindful or holy somebody else is. It's learning to really understand ourselves, to move away from, from just our own views and opinions. Obsession with our egos, self-importance, towards an attitude of humility, of generosity, morality, patience. Remember one time in monastery in England, a woman, English woman, came and saw us bowing to Buddha Rupa, and she's very distressed by this. And she, the, the, the Old Testament, God's forbidden bow, forbidden the Jews to bow down to graven images, and uh, Buddha Rupa certainly fulfills that perspective is a graven image, and so uh, it's a kind of uh, the cultural, our own cultural background coming out of Judaism, Christianity, it, it, uh, we have this, this kind of cultural perception So we can just think you shouldn't bow to any images as just a kind of logical conclusion from that commandment. Or Or we can just awaken our minds to learn to contemplate the value of imagery, of icons, of rupas, of religious symbols, and of religious ceremonies. So one, one way is just doing them because we're supposed to, doing them in a perfunctory way, or refusing to do them because we've got all kinds of opinions of, against it, or learning to, to do the, uh, go through the, or learn to develop mindfulness around the, the tradition and ceremony of a particular uh, religious tradition. Like this tradition is uh, Theravada Buddhism, the kind of Buddhism you'd find in, in Thailand and Burma, Sri Lanka, Cambodia, Laos, in uh, India, you find it in Assam and in Bangladesh. Referred to as a Southern school. And within the Buddhist world, Theravada Buddhism also, has various Mahayana groups and other forms of Buddhism have strong views about Theravada, being lesser vehicle, <clears throat> and Theravadans have strong views about Mahayana. So this is, we can be attached to these views. But the point is, of the Buddhist practice is not, to, not that there's one tradition that, <clears throat> that is right and the rest are wrong. It's, it's the point of awakening the mind to use the tradition in a, for awakening the mind. How well can we use Theravada Buddhism, the tradition that, that we have, for mindfulness, for wakefulness, rather than for attachment and that's the challenge that, that, that we have, each one of us. How skillfully can we use a tradition, or whatever tradition we're, we're attracted to, how, how to use that tradition for the awakened mind, for awareness, for enlightenment, rather than figuring out which tradition is the best. then you get into Mahayana is the great Vehicle. Theravada is a lesser vehicle. We think if it's great, it's got to be better. So, the kind of simple minded logic from that is somehow Theravada Buddhism is lesser, inferior, and Mahayana is greater. And then there's the Vajrayana, which is even better than the Mahayana. <laughs> and so we get back into into the mind that thinks about, uh, you know, which is the best. But having the best, it doesn't make, isn't that important. It isn't what's the best, but how awakened you are. Huh? Isn't it? How to awaken to, in the present moment, how to uh, reflect, to recognize, to contemplate experience. Rather than look for the best possible tradition and then grasp hold of that and say, I belong to the best group, and get into a kind of um, snootiness. If everything you have is the best, then you oftentimes think that you're better than the rest. So that in, in our own tradition, it's not to to uh, to become an exclusive uh, kind of person with that only cultivates in <clears throat> the greatest teachers and the <clears throat> most superior forms of religion but to see that very maybe that very attitude of wanting thinking you have to have the best in order to practice as a, as a, as an opinion or an attitude of mind that you're attached to so then you're awakening to the way things are So now at this moment, just look at the look at the mind. What how do you feel right now? Just try to observe the the quality of mind or the mood that you're experiencing. It's like you're looking inward. What how do you feel at this present moment? So you're in a state of observing, not judging. It doesn't matter how you feel just what what is it you're feeling right now So this is what reflection is, you're looking at the mind, at the, at the jitta, or the, using the Pali word jitta, you're looking at the jitta, the state of mind, what is it, what is, what is it like, Does it feel, do you feel peaceful or sleepy or confused? clear, feel relaxed or feel tense, anxious, whatever, and that's to, to, to accept what you're feeling, just to kind of observe and be willing to let it be the way it is, not trying to change it, but just recognize that at this moment the, the mood of the mind is like this. And composing the mind, just be going to the, the breath or to the, the posture of the body, is collecting your mind, collecting yourself to be in the present, to just be aware of the, say, the mood, like this. and the body itself, what is it like? Does it feel? breath mindfulness of the breath so what what i'm pointing to is this got ability to observe reflecting on the way it is it's not you don't even need to to have a word for how you're feeling you don't need to describe your your mood as being happy sad or anything else no, you don't need to perceive it in in with any say any word, but just know, that because there's a knowing of it, it's this like this, sometimes moods are, I have no way of, of describing anyone, a mood, particular state of mind in the present, but I can certainly know it directly that it's this way. So I can say right now that the, if I want to use a word, I say right now the state of my mind, it seems quite peaceful, tranquil. And so I'm using words now to describe. And the words can kind of point to a a general quality, perceptions are very limited, aren't they? They're just points on a a spectrum where this uh, intuitive awareness is, is a whole spectrum, isn't it? It's including the whole of everything, the whole moment as is, not just a point. So now just concentrate your your mind on the breath and just to uh, use uh, focus it on say on the on the breath the inhalation exhalation practicing this uh, anapanasati mindfulness of the breath being with the the breath. Relaxing with the breath as it inhales and exhales. Beginning of the inhalation to the end of the inhalation, the beginning of the exhalation to the end of the exhalation. The mind wanders off then as soon as you realize you're off somewhere else then go right back to the breath. Say For the next 10 minutes just practice with this, just concentrating your attention on the movement of your breath say as you experience it at the, at the uh, nostrils. With uh, mindfulness of the breath in our tradition we use the mantra Buto, which is a mantric form of Buddha so a mantra is uh, is also quite useful to concentrate your mind with a with a mantra because mantra meditation is is uh, Stopping the wandering mind thinking, one thought connecting to another uh, in associated thoughts, but uh, you're using one word, two syllable word, over and over again. So, with this word, it uh, we use it with the breath, the inhaling, bud, exhaling, to. Just to a way of concentrating, stopping the, the thinking mind, wandering mind, toward using one word to sustain attention on the inhalation and the exhalation. The word itself also points to this awakenness in the, the Buddha, the Bhutto is the awakened state of mind, the knowing state. And the, the Buddha is a, knows things directly. It's not knowing about something. It's not like having a, a PhD where you, you know all about many complicated things from having studied and, and uh, acquired knowledge from someone else or from books But it's direct knowing, it's this intuitive knowing. So the, the Buddha and the Buddha is the is this awakened state, it's an attentive state in the present. It's knowing things as they are. And, the, and then in the Theravada teaching, in Pali Canon you have the all conditions are impermanent. So, this, this, is, a, this is a reflection. All conditioned phenomena is impermanent. So, they have this chant, So, pay Sankara Anicca. And so, Anicca is a Pali word for impermanent. So, that applies to everything, whether it's a, a, a mountain, an ocean, a universal system, uh, a star in the sky, the sun or the moon or a thought in your mind, a feeling, uh, pleasant or painful, or neutral, whatever, and all conditioned phenomena, it includes everything that arises and ceases, that has a beginning and an end. So that's quite obvious, isn't it? If it has a beginning, it has an end, therefore it's impermanent. So the Buddha knows all conditioned phenomena is impermanent. So in our reflection on the way it is, we're we're noticing impermanence. We're taking our we're no longer interested in the quality of the condition. So much we we usually the 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 worldly mind's interested in the quality of conditions. You know whether it's pretty or ugly or. Uh, useful or useless, whether it's sensible or nonsensical. Uh, we, we take an interest in, in the quality of, of the conditioned realm. So we're always kind of looking around and seeing what we like, what we don't like. But in this direct knowing, it's no longer, the quality is not the, the important issue, but the characteristic of impermanence, knowing impermanence. Like this, so the breath, the all conditioned phenomena has this same pattern as your own breath, isn't it? A rising, the ex- inhalation rises up, which conditions the exhalation. And so inhalation is has a span, you don't inhale permanently, you know, you get, reaches a peak and then stops, which conditions the beginning of the exhalation. So that, that's the pattern of all conditioned phenomena, rising, ceasing. So you can understand that intellectually, you know, you know that's sensible, I agree. But to notice that, is reflecting on the way it is to to really open your uh, your mind, be attentive to the changingness of the feelings you're having, the ephemeral quality of thought, rather than the rather than thought itself taking interest in your own thoughts, just noting how how quick thought moves, a thought just. goes so goes so quickly or a feeling an emotion can linger but it's still when you're really looking at emotion it, rather than indulging it or resisting it you see it as a, as a kind of the lingering quality has no permanence to it it's the slower movement then they then the uh, sense realm of what you see, hear, smell, taste, touch. The Buddha, the, the knowing, direct knowing, the way things are knowing, the conditions are impermanent, and Nietzsche, that all conditioned phenomena, then is unsatisf- is very nature is unsatisfying. It, it, most you can expect from conditioned experiences some momentary gratification. That's about the best it offers. You have momentary gratification through the sense realms. But as a as satisfaction, real sense of satisfaction, it its nature is is unsatisfactory. So we we don't demand satisfaction from the conditioned realm once you fully appreciate that. You want the conditioned realm to satisfy you and complete you and fulfill you and enlighten you is, is asking the impossible because conditioned realm is, is, is very nature is unsatisfactory and that's way it's supposed to be, not supposed to be satisfying and anatta or non-self where the ignorant mind identifies with conditioned phenomena itself all the time this is me, I'm like this, this is my body my feelings, my opinions, my things, my life, and the whole sense of self, uh, identity, to the conditioned realm uh, binds us you know, in a way to, to this unsatisfactoriness, so we end up suffering from it. So anatta means seeing that, that we're not anything, we're not a thing a condition a body we're not a, a personality a man or a woman or any condition that this is that all these conditions are not self are anatta so when we contemplate condition phenomena we're contemplating these three characteristics Common to all conditioned phenomena, anicca dukkha nata impermanency, unsatisfactoriness, and non-self. So the Buddha, Buddha mind being a direct knowing, then knows the conditions, discerns the conditioned phenomena knows conditioned phenomena for what it is knows the unconditioned so that's a direct knowledge direct knowing is knowing unconditioned so the unconditioned is is something isn't a, you know you, you can only it's a negation of the condition the you know, condition unconditioned <laughs> so in, in terms of of a word you negate the conditions they the unconditioned trying to try to imagine the unconditioned. Can you make an image of the unconditioned? You make a symbol of it, like maybe a zero or something, but it's the imagination stops there, doesn't it? The unconditioned. What is it? Your thinking mind stops. A non-plussing of the thinking mind. Then, but there's an awareness of that, of non-thinking, isn't there? Of that gap that where the thinking ceases, reaches a dead end, and there's this kind of doubt or empty space. So you're not just binding yourself to the conditions, to thinking, and to emotions, and to the endless proliferations of conditioned experience, but there's a way out of it through this awareness. Mm -hmm. So you're learning to pay attention to the presence and absence of conditions. To the condition, knowing the condition, and the unconditioned. a gap where the thinking mind ceases and emotions will cease it's like it has no boundary it's infinite like space silence infinity it's just there's no there's no walls around it no boundaries to it No, it doesn't begin and end because it, it's uh, your attention to it changes, you, know, you lose your attention, but like space, it's always present whether you're aware of it or not. So you're learning to, to kind of rest in a state of pure attention where you can discern, see clearly the way it is, the conditions rising, seizing, the unconditioned, ever-present, the background, the that which embraces the conditions. So this is like in Buddha, the Buddha is the knowing of this, the ability to take refuge in Buddha, Bhutto, is human capability that we all share to be to, to pay to awaken to pay attention, to discern, to know the truth of the way it is to know the Dhamma. So this, this reflection this morning is for that kind of encouraging this, this use of the word Buddha rather than just seeing it as, <clears throat> as a kind of exotic religion or there's some kind of image on the shrine it's a it's a, it's a word that has, a, has great profundity and it. it's a very useful word and as a refuge it really you begin to really trust in it not in some kind of Buddha power you imagine some kind of external Buddhas that are out there hanging in the air that you can't see but you believe in. It's not that. It's much more real than, than anything you imagine. It's a very direct, very powerful ability each one of us is capable of using, of awakened awareness in the present. So this this way of relaxed attention. It's like, like learning to find a balance between too much effort, where you, you're willfully forcing your attention onto the breath or onto the body, which is a kind of effort you can't sustain. So it's just too, too much effort. It's too willful. And therefore you can't sustain it. So of course your mind wanders all the time. When you're trying too hard, uh, you you can't do it if you try too hard. If you don't, if you just sit there without any effort at all and you tend to get caught in this the habit patterns, wandering mind. So finding this balance is a sense of relaxed attention, the gentle balance, sustainable. Efforts—it's—it's it's something that, that 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 you can uh, that will be useful to you, uh, and you can keep as a as a point of balance for reflection. So I remember trying to do an years ago, getting headaches all the time because I just try so hard, put so much effort into concentrating on my breath that i get headaches. That's like too much effort. Then I'd read various views about practice They say, don't use any effort, it's an effortless path. Then I wouldn't put any effort in, I'd fall asleep. <laughs> to do <laughs> and then the emphasis on right effort uh, and so then that, that is finding this is like learning to walk isn't it you you, you learn through <clears throat> trying through falling down like a child when, he, when he's learning to walk he doesn't just find balance immediately but it takes time to kind of get confidence to stand on just stand up on two legs without holding on to something first maybe you need to hold on to to the furniture (laughs) and that helps to give you strength you know gives you your limbs strength as you pull yourself up eventually you begin to as a child naturally the child naturally finds the balance point where he can if she can walk without holding on to anything same with this this kind of effort you're going to fall down all the time but through you know if a child if a child learning to walk gets discouraged oh if you keep falling down i'm not even going to try anymore Fortunately, children don't think like that. <laughs> 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 uh, the more they fall down, the more they're determined to, to do it. So that's, that's the kind of mind you need, like Charles' child's mind, kind of willingness to, to fail and hurt yourself. But start again, you know, try again, until you just begin to recognize this sense of it's a very simple, a very natural state of mind. It's not like a, a refined state of consciousness that depends on a lot of supporting conditions to maintain it. Like if you get into very high concentrated states, you need a lot of supporting conditions, like lack of coarse impingement and things that support refined, uh, refined uh, experience but this is a balance point so it's not dependent on things being quiet and everything being harmonious and and refined uh, things around oneself it's not that's not it it's a it's a natural state of being so you're not moving into some kind of special state of mind that that makes you kind of above everything but it It integrates everything that you're experiencing, whether it's refined or coarse, is no longer that important. So now, just contemplate the the posture, just learn to just kind of embrace your body with your mind. Just get a feeling for, for just feeling the, the sense of your body sitting as a, as a as an object in your mind so the the, the feeling is more like the body's in your mind rather than the mind in your brain, like we generally assume. Maybe you can't put your your body inside your brain. (laughs) 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 But. So, in reflective awareness, is around just the, the feeling of this body as as a, as an object. Like it has a sense of presence, a sense of weight, of pressure. You can you can just be whether the 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 uh, the borders of your body, the the shape of it, the shoulders and elbows and knees and all that. You kind of that, that's within the mind now. It, it, it all belongs in this present moment. And then go to the breath and, and just concentrate on just that sensation of breathing. Now, some people are used to the kind of uh, rising, falling of the abdomen, the Burmese style. And I'm not particularly fussy about which part of your body you want to concentrate on, so the, the abdomen or the nostrils. but. But in the sense of a whole-body awareness also, it, it, you begin to to just feel the body breathing. Uh, you don't have to just focus on one point. But to make it easy in the beginning, then on one point, such as the nostrils, just relaxing with that sense of breathing in, breathing out. See if, you, if you're interested in using the mantra, puto, as a way of of concentrating your attention on the inhalation bud and exhalation toe. Then, with the anapanasati, after when you feel calm enough, another practice is uh, that I encourage is this, uh, body sweeping, going through the sensations of the of the body, so that you you bring attention just by thinking say, top of the head. You'll find the top of your head suddenly appearing in consciousness like magic and then at the top of the head there it is and you can feel a kind of sensation, tingling or throbbing or even if there isn't anything noticeable it's just a, being aware of that place of your that part of your body so it is, moving from the, the head through the through the face and the around the sensor, the eyes, the ears, the nose, the mouth, lips the jaw, inside the mouth, the tongue. Just begin to notice sensation of heat or cold tingling, uh, wetness of the mouth, pressure, one lip touching the 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 other one, or the tongue, the, touching the palate, or just anything that you, you are aware of as you, say, designate a particular part of your body, and Just just aim to notice the sensation, or lack of sensation, just sweeping down through the shoulders, arms and hands, trunk of the body, down through the legs, through the feet and back up again kind of you can do it with the mind, you see, you can notice a point on the body, you can notice a a piece of the body, like you can just say little toe on right foot or you can say right foot or right leg and uh, whatever whatever you designate that that is a, a conscious, consciously experienced. So in doing this, the value of this is that as you allow your body to be conscious, allow it into consciousness, even the parts of the body that you don't usually notice. Nothing that We're so so head-oriented that we, we're in a world of ideas all the time, or, our bodies, we don't notice till they get sick or get painful or become problematic. But that's probably the body saying, hey, look at me. You forget me all the time. You're so caught up with your ideas. So this is a, you know, like a meta practice of just spreading metta through your body by totally accepting the body and all its parts, its organs, its Whatever it is, with this attitude of just uh, loving kindness, non-critical mind, just noticing sensation—painful, pleasant, neutral—a lot of the body is, is, most of the body is neutral. It's neither pleasant or nor is it painful, but. Sensation, usually extreme sensation, we notice if it's very pleasurable, we notice it; if it's painful, we notice it. But neither pleasurable nor painful, we don't, we don't bother with, it. we don't notice until we pay attention. So that paying attention is an important attitude, and it's a an awakened state. You're you're noticing something that isn't demanding attention, such as the the pressure of your Clothes on your body. Say if they're not. It's neither. You can say the way your clothes, your shirt touches your skin is pleasurable or painful. But once you once you notice it, you realize there is sensation. There's neutral sensation. And so this also recognizes so much of our life is neutral. It's neither one extreme or the other. So it's not noticed. We tend to awaken only and notice the extremities of experience, pleasure and pain. So there's endless kind of distracting quality to our life to seek some kind of entertainment, something that will, some kind of extreme form of sense experience to make us feel alive. But now you're developing this this effort from within, the ability to awaken, pay attention to say neutral sensation, using that as an object for this next half hour, next 15 minutes. Just explore the sensations of the body, starting from the top of the head, and just practice sweeping down, really saying, just noticing anything that, that uh, becomes conscious during this time in regards to physical sensation either pleasant, painful, or neutral. this practice of awareness of the body's sensations and and really uh, you develop it probably many of you have already But the result is that the body relaxes obviously the body appreciates being allowed as conscious experience uh, this door of consciousness we oftentimes control uh, very strictly so that it. We only let certain things in that habits that we have developed. So much of the time is, say, much of our just that which is closest to it is closest, closest to us in the during a lifetime is never consciously experienced. So, like with meditation, you're actually allowing. The everything uh, into into consciousness through the door of consciousness. Even neutral things, uh, not just the extremities, stupid things. Uh, I mean, I went through periods of my meditation where I'd get all these stupid thoughts coming up in my mind, <laughs> and I uh, I kept. Resisting that, I didn't like to think stupid thoughts. <laughs> so uh, nonsense and trivial, silly, foolish things. And you see, there's a judgment in there: that it's stupid or that's trivial. Uh, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm, you know, I'm not the kind of person that's gonna uh, that has stupid thoughts. And so, <laughs> but a lot of our life is experience of stupidity and nonsense. And, and this is oftentimes never consciously accepted. So that's where in meditation, you'll find things coming up into your consciousness, things that like various uh, memories or emotions, uh, feelings, uh, like oftentimes grief you start feeling grief with when there's no reason to. But it's like when you're opening the mind up, then things that have been held back and resisted then can come into consciousness. When you let them into consciousness, then you can let go of them by letting something be conscious. Then you're actually liberating liberating that condition. So if you're experiencing any of these emotions, anger, resentment, or as you, know, you think, oh, I've come to this retreat in order to have peace and bliss and loving kindness and happiness. And instead you get <laughs> Grief and despair and anguish <laughs> and you think, I must be doing something wrong. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> It's how you relate to it, isn't it? How you <laughs> see it is a, it's a like a, a liberation of these these mental states or these emotions that maybe you've spent your whole life just resisting, pushing aside. And it is through this willingness to let life be fully conscious, both in, in, in all its aspects, that that you you're enlightened, that you're you're, you're liberated. From the suffering that we create through not knowing this, through just trying to control life and and uh, manipulate conditions for our own benefit, or just feel like a helpless victim of life. Sometimes you you feel you're just a victim. You've got so many unpleasant things have happened that that you just feel life is just. Uh, something uh, you know a very bad experience and there's no hope but even these kind of despairing attitudes are allowed into consciousness and letting them be conscious you can let go of them because uh, your true nature is pure bright intelligent like in emptiness, there's a, it's, it's an intelligent emptiness, it's not a blank kind of uh, dead emptiness. Like when you experience an anatta, no self, it's, it's an intelligent state, it's, a, it's universally in, intelligent, it's not a, it's not a, a dead state of, of uh, a blank vacuum like it might sound when you talk about emptiness. Or we think, if, if I let go of myself, if I let go of my personality and myself, there'll be nothing left. I'll be just a, like a zombie or something. There's a great fear of if we let go of ourselves, then what's left is, is just nothing at all. And it sounds depressing. But when you let go of yourself, what, what remains is purity. Your true nature is pure. That—that that you never lose, but you forget. So, so you're beginning to get in touch with that again. Get to, to recognize the natural purity of being. And this is through consciously experiencing life, with wisdom, <laughs> using wisdom with consciousness. So now we can do some walking and then apply this, uh, this awareness uh, around the simple act of standing and walking, learning to stand in this, in this way of embracing the body. Mm. Standing straight, but relaxed, Mm. not stiff, not kind of forcing the body into a rigid, rigid uh, posture but getting to just open your mind to encompass the body so the body will find a, a natural what it, where it where it knows the body really knows has its own intelligence to know what what is what is good for it if you begin to trust and not just try to make your body do what you think it should be, what it should do, trying to make your body fit into the ideas you have of what it should be. But if you begin to let go of that need to control and trust more in just awareness of the body, and say in standing and walking, see what happens. See what kind of result uh, that you have from this practice. The bell ringer, yes. uh bell ringer. Uh Susan the bell ringer, yes. Uh they ring the bell at about ten past.